0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The Canadian men's national team was supposed to play Panama in a friendly on Sunday. Instead, The game was cancelled thanks to a protest by Canadian players against their own federation. Joshua Cloak is here to explain why Canada's players held out of the game and what could come next. I'm Alex Abnos from The Athletic and this is Soccer Everyday for Tuesday, June 7th. Well, it was a really interesting weekend in Canadian soccer. So I have our Canadian soccer expert, Joshua Cloak, here with me to talk through it. Uh, Josh, of course, the news uh, going into this weekend was all about this hastily arranged friendly with Panama, which itself came after sort of a fiasco in scheduling and then having to cancel the friendly with Iran. Uh, It turns out that the friendly didn't end up getting played at all. Uh, The players, uh, Canadian players, refused uh, to take the field uh, for for the game, the game was canceled, and uh, they they kind of issued this letter outlining what essentially are a bunch of grievances with the federation, which is known by known as Canada Soccer. Uh, Josh, things like this usually don't happen completely out of nowhere, so I'm kind of curious from your perspective uh, when the players sort of started. Uh, gathering their, their sort of thoughts about this and when it became apparent that this was going to lead to missed trainings and, and and canceled games or a canceled
2: game. So the players say in their letter that they tried to initiate contract discussions in March and that tracks because in March is when they qualified and, and you know, the, it, it becomes very real, you know, the prospect qualified, for the, World Cup. Of, qualified yeah. for the World Cup so that the prospect of what like the bonus structure would look like, Um, so that tracks, but I think it's important to note here that there's a number of players on this men's national team that have experience, you know, with the MLSPA, Mark Anthony Kaye being one of them. So this wouldn't be something that they all would have thought about at March for the first time. I I think there's my understanding is there's a few kind of, I, I, I guess, leaders or there's a leadership group on the team that has been kind of looking at this for a little bit longer and trying to gather as much information but March is when they try to initiate contract um, discussions. Um, and then they finally actually only sit down with um, Earl Cochran, Deputy Secretary, and, and Nick Bontis, President of Canada Soccer, um, on June 4th, which is right ahead of the match against Panama uh, on June 5th. Um, so I, I, I don't think this is – I'm sure there are some players that were more aware of, of, you know, the idea of contract bonuses and, and structures and the Canadian soccer business and all these things um, than other players. But I don't think this is something that would have caught people, the, the whole team completely off guard because, you know, it's a little bit of a six degrees of separation thing, right? Milan Borean and, and Atiba Hutchison are the veterans and they would have played with guys who were playing on the national team in the 90s and they were experiencing the exact same thing, right? I, I've been talking to former national team players all morning for an upcoming story, you know, about how they feel about this. Um, and this is something that was a plight players were experiencing in the 90s. This is something that, that you know, I know that men's national team members were experiencing in the days up to a really crucial World Cup qualifying game against Australia in 1993. Had they won that game, they would have gone to a final inter-confederation playoff against Argentina. Right. Um, so not a new problem at all. There's precedent here of Canada soccer, delaying negotiations, um, not meeting players at the table. And as one former player described to me today, making them feel like amateurs. So while I don't know if every single player was completely aware of, of everything involved in this over the past few weeks, I have to believe that there were some players who would have had an inkling that, that things were going to come to this much, you know, much longer than just a few days ago, right?
1: Yeah. So, so, Josh, you mentioned Canada's soccer business or Canadian soccer business there, and that it does make up a, a pretty notable chunk of of this letter. But real quick, before we get there, what sort of things are you talking about that that the players have consistently experienced over all this time? You know, is this as simple as just how big the game checks are, how big the bonuses are, or is it other things like training conditions or is it you know all of the above or a little bit of everything
2: I think it's a general feeling of uncertainty and if a player is heading in, if a group of players are heading into a crucial World Cup qualifying match and and they know that you know a, a win could get them to the World Cup or get them closer to the World Cup but they don't know what the payment structure of a World Cup berth would look like for them sure. I mean you any professional athlete you you can't go into a match you know, with the kind of complications you know surrounding the game, the, the the best performances are are kind of done by professional athletes who are clear in their mind. And I think those kind of complications have long, really, really hampered Canadian soccer Canadian men's soccer players.
1: right. Uh, so back to Canadian soccer business. as I said, this makes up a pretty I think it's notable that they identify this partner of Canada soccer by name. Uh, In this letter, they identify it as like a major contributing factor to why they didn't uh, play this game, because they want to know about the nature of uh, Canada Soccer's relationship with this company called Canadian Soccer Business, which is somehow both uh, very clear and very confusing at the same time, uh, in my opinion. Um, Josh, what is this business? What is Canadian Soccer Business? When did they start? And what sort of partnership do they have with Canada Soccer exactly?
2: So Canadian soccer business was uh, a venture created 2018, 2019, um, and it was done essentially to create a Canadian soccer economy. And I know those sound like buzz words, you know, sure. used in boardrooms, but but before then, like there, there was no genuine Canadian soccer economy. This was done with the Canadian Premier League coming into existence in 2019. And the idea that all of the you know, commercial properties surrounding Canada soccer could be packaged into one and then marketed, right? And that includes domestic broadcast rights, that includes sponsorship deals. Um, This comes at a time where admittedly, Canada, Canadian soccer was on the come up, right, with the men's, sorry, not with the men's national team, but with the Canadian Premier League coming in. And to get this off the ground, um, you know, the, the kind of, the originators of of the Canadian Premier League went after possible owners of Premier League teams, Canadian Premier League teams who had deep pockets. And that's something that past Canadian leagues didn't have, right? You go back to the CSL in the 80s and the 90s, that lasted six, seven years because they ran out of money. They didn't want that to happen. So to incentivize new owners, they said, not only will you own a team, you will also own a portion of Canadian soccer business. And therefore, you know, kind of rising tides lift all boats, right? Um, so when that happens, you know, Canadian soccer business, they do hire kind of some some consulting firms to to find media broadcast deals, but this is a, a big deal. It's a 10-year deal. And I think in the eyes of some, we can debate if that's long, but I, I, I think in the eyes of some, that's, that's a pretty long deal, especially for a brand new venture. Yeah few years later, once John Herdman kind of comes on board and, and the likes of Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and Tejon Buchanan hit the heights that they have, the men's national team becomes a far more valuable property globally than it was you know before and even domestically right I've said this before right. the men's national team before 2018 was something between a disappointment and an afterthought. So I think that's at the crux of the argument for the players is what that the men's national team was in 2018 is not what we are now night and day right I think we right. say, to say that I think there's a lot of people in and around the men's national team that want to see you know their image their their brand valued in a much different way by Canada Soccer and I think that's really at the root of the frustration for the players
1: When you describe the sort of business model of Canadian soccer business to me, and probably to a lot of people listening to this that are familiar with the sort of American soccer business landscape, this sounds an awful lot like Soccer United Marketing, also known as SUM. Yep. Uh, an organization that was uh, still is, it still exists, it's still owned by uh, every owner of an MLS team, sort of uh, is a co owner of, uh, of Soccer United Marketing. And from Basically, its inception in 2002 until 2021, they ran all the commercial rights for U.S. soccer. And Josh, I think it's interesting that uh, that period coincided with, a you could say like maybe some slow, steady growth of soccer in the United States, certainly if the men's national team. Um, I'm wondering if you would think it would be accurate that they were trying to to say that Canada was basically trying to replicate uh Soccer United Marketing's effect, but instead of having, they were anticipating that sort of same slow and steady growth, but instead they got this sort of meteoric rise that uh, the Canadian men's team was able to show over the last year and just sort of didn't account for how, how good they would become so quickly. Do you think that would be accurate or is there more to it than that?
2: I, I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, I'll ask you, I I, I don't, I'm kind of proud of it. I, I wrote a story in 2018 that, that we published that kind of said, here's how the men's national team can qualify for the World Cup brackets. No, really. And, yeah. and I, I remember you and I talking about it. This was four years ago, but we were kind of saying it's fun to dream. And that's where things were at, right? The the ascent of this team has been so, so rapid to the point that, you know, you can attest and in our staff meetings, I was kind of, I, I was cast as, as you know, a Debbie Downer because I really didn't believe they were going to qualify right up until the point that they did, because that's the way the Canadian men's national team has long been viewed. So what I think this speaks to is is kind of a bigger problem in that, or a problem issue whatever in that the men's national team has evolved so quickly that the quality on the field has lapped the, the the quality of administration within Canada soccer. And if you're a player, that's really concerning, right? And that's a big part of their letter too, is that they don't feel that they have serious questions of, of the executive at Canada soccer. They feel there's not enough former national team players at the executive level at the board level, um, Is there a lack of trust from the players in the men's Air in Canada soccer? It certainly feels like it, right? Because they feel that what they're doing on the pitch eclipses what's being done off the pitch. And I think if you watch the press conference yesterday with Nick Bontis, um, which what do we want to call that combative, um, strange, not, you know, it, it didn't speak to a, a, a level of comfort. That the, that the organization should have. This is an incredible moment in Canadian soccer. We're going to the world cup, but what's being brought to the forefront is, is these kind of problems. So I think that lack of trust has long existed between players and, and the CSA. And now it's just not even slowly bubbling to the surface, of, you know, surface the, the water's boiling over. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: given all that, Josh, and given that the differences between where Canada's soccer is on this, where the players are on this, given the length of this agreement that Canada soccer has, has with Canadian soccer business, what does a solution look like? And I'm aware that I'm asking you to speculate a little bit, but do you think yeah. that anything could be uh, concluded or sort of agreed upon? Uh, because I will note that this Thursday, Canada still has games to play. They have a, a game against Curaçao on Thursday uh, and against uh, Honduras- uh, a little bit later in June. Those are CONCACAF Nations League games, so it's not like a friendly. If they don't show up for those ones, it's actually kind of a big problem. CONCACAF can hand down sanctions, and presumably FIFA could get involved as well. Um, are those games in danger of not being played if, if a solution isn't reached? Like, what do you what do you see that... How, how do you see the next week or so playing out?
2: Yeah, I mean, have we ever looked forward to a Canada Nations League game as much as Thursday <laughs> against Curacao? <laughs> 10.30 no. p.m. Eastern? Um, yeah. No, I, I, I can't imagine the players not playing games that, as you mentioned, if they don't play, there will be FIFA sanctions, right? I, my sense is that it will be difficult to come to a resolution, um, you know, as of now in the next three days, in the next, you know, 80 hours or so. Um, this is probably a problem that or an issue that will be kicked down the, you know, the road a little bit. Um, I imagine contract kind of discussions will be ongoing um, afterwards. I, I, I suspect that that Canada Soccer and the men's national team will, you know, probably issue some kind of joint statement to say that you know they're they're now negotiating in good faith. Which I don't even know if that had happened before. Um, but I would find it really the the timing is unfortunate, and you feel for the fans in Vancouver that weren't able to watch the men's national team you feel for the team because they lost out on a training match that you know it's I was thinking about the the US team and there's been so many comparisons between what's happening with the the Canadian team and the American team because that's kind of the bar I think they have themselves at yeah US played Uruguay and Morocco the Canada would I, I, they need those kind of games right now. Really, really need those kinds of games. So I don't see them not playing another game, both because of the ramifications that it could bring and the fact that they just need to play. There's only so many games they have between now and the World Cup. I suspect it'll get kicked down the road a little bit. um, And I, I really can't see them going to the World Cup without having this issue resolved. But Canada soccer is kind of hamstrung. With their deal, right? right. They, I don't know how much they can change. Nick Bontis, perhaps the biggest takeaway for me from his press conference is that he called the men's offer untenable. That's you know that's pretty strong language. Um, so we'll see. But I, you know, I, I really it it just feels like a really golden opportunity here to to really galvanize the country and get more and more people on board is is kind of being squandered.
1: Uh, let's certainly hope that it doesn't continue, uh, because I think a strong, uh, Canadian team has been so much fun, uh, to see develop sure. over the last, over the last couple of years. And is certainly good for the region as a whole. Uh, nonetheless, this is a very interesting story and Josh, I know you'll be pr- continuing to provide coverage of it on the athletic. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Before we go, I should note that after we recorded this segment with Josh, the Canadian national team players announced that they would return to training, having met the leaders of Canada's soccer on Sunday evening. However, the players cautioned that no agreement was reached, and they said nothing about the upcoming game against Curaçao. Lastly, a TV guide for today, all times are Eastern as usual, and it's a big day in World Cup qualifying, not in terms of the number of games. There's actually just one game that's very important. It is the playoff for the Asian AFC Confederation, United Arab Emirates versus Australia. The winner of this game, it's a one-off in Doha, uh, Qatar. Uh, The winner plays Peru. This coming Monday for a spot at the World Cup that is at 2 p.m. on Paramount Plus. Uh, it's also a big in Nations League in Europe and in CONCACAF uh, in North America. In Europe, we have two uh, big matchups at 2:45 p.m. Germany versus England classic uh, international fixture that'll be on Vix and Fubo Sports Network at 2:45 p.m. Also at the same time, Italy versus Hungary that it will be the game on Fox Sports One. In the CONCACAF Nations League, uh, there are some interesting matchups, including at 9 p.m. Jamaica versus Suriname, and at 7 p.m. Grenada versus El Salvador, both those teams being in the United States group. Both of those games are on Tudé A at 7 and 9 p.m. Earlier in the day, we had Guyana versus Bermuda and Haiti versus Montserrat. In NWSL action at 10 p.m., Angel City take on Houston Dash on Paramount+. This show is produced by Mike Zerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening and happy soccer to you all.